Asshole Cord is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. If you grew up in the 90s, there are certain names that ring a bell, trigger a strong response even. Steve Urkel. That name might make you grimace while your brain immediately fills it in with the nasally, Did I do that? Lorena Bobbitt. If you're a dude, that name makes you immediately think about your dick getting cut off and thrown out of a moving car window. Tanya Harding. You can practically smell the smoke inside that shitty trailer. Joey Buttafuoco. <laughs> and then there's Saddam Hussein. If you were a kid growing up in the 90s, then Saddam was just the baddest guy there was. In the decade before Osama bin Laden masterminded the plan to bring down the World Trade Centers and usurped Saddam as the globe's greatest villain, if you wanted to put a face on everything that was internationally bad and un-American, then you likely imagined a Middle Eastern man with a prominent mustache, sunglasses, and a beret. As the president of Iraq, he was the face of our enemy in the first Gulf War, aka Desert Storm, the first U.S. victory in a sizable war theater since our embarrassed shuffle out of Vietnam. As Americans, we were fucking stoked. And it was great to have a seemingly cartoonish bad guy to hate to boot. And the name was fun, too. Many a dipshit thought that they were at the forefront of comedy when they called him Saddam Insane to their family and friends. But was Saddam Hussein the evil authoritarian dictator that we made him out to be? Well, yeah, he really was. But still, grab your yellow ribbons, your neon fanny pack, and crank up Lee Greenwood's nauseatingly pandering, proud to be an American, while you simultaneously listen to us fill you in on the actual details of this horrific yet fascinating character on this latest episode of Asshole Court. Did I do that? <laughs> that was, you just keep getting better with that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, so before we get started, we want to give a big shout-out to Joe Nicholson from Facebook and James Hatcher from Instagram for the show suggestion. It worked out perfectly because after doing Chris Pratt and a couple other people that were, you know, milk toast in terms of their uh, assholery, <laughs> I wanted to do someone that was a fucking asshole, and we've got a real winner today. So yeah. thank you guys very much, Joe and James. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mikey's been needing something yep. to tee up on. I was on just and, about um, to say that. He's, he's like, give me something good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Something filthy, bro. Joe and James, big shout out. Yeah, so yeah. now let's get into our other segment here. It is from the inbox. We have a couple of reviews that came out, and Randy is going to read them to you. Absolutely. Got two new reviews in. They both just happen to be five stars. I'm just saying they are the two latest reviews we've got. So, uh, again, we're looking for reviews. We'd love to hear yours. Five stars. You know, I would say or not, but, you know, let's, let's keep it real. Yeah. All right. So first one we've got is from... NM like New Mexico Green Chilies. NM Green Chilies says, Hilarious is the title. Most of your episodes have me audibly laughing in my truck. There have been a few people that I really don't know, but your research and humor still had me doubled over laughing. What about a show on El Chapo Guzman? I love that idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big fan that'd, of that be a, that'd be a really good one. Like we were talking about before the show, um, 
if you uh, watch Narcos. Yeah, you sort of love Chapo. Yeah. He's sort of a, like a, he's a little scamp. <laughs> you know? <laughs> he is. Yeah. The and memes they've got out of that show are just incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one with him sitting on the bench. Like, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah when none of your friends are around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, for real, I want to see a little Chapo show, you yeah. know? You just, he's just a little, little up and comer. <laughs> All right. <laughs> little so, Chapo. That's it. And uh, I like the name on that. What was it? Uh. And them green chilies. And them, yeah, New Mexico green chilies. Yeah, and yeah. that's what we were just in Colorado, and I believe they try to lay claim to the green chilies. There is a battle between New Mexico and Colorado. Denver, I will, yeah. I will say that New Mexico owns it. I oh, think it's with known this username. For the chili. Yeah, yeah. it is. But Colorado chilies. also, they have a battle. Of, like, I don't know. They put it in everything, which is great. The green chilies, whoever it belongs to, thank you. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say New Mexico with this username. So yeah, um, there you go. There but he's go. taking the side of whoever. <laughs> if it said Colorado green chilies, he's he's like absolutely. That's hey. right. <laughs> If Colorado Green Chilies comes up and gives us a five-star review, I'll big them up. That we'll talk. Right. We'll talk. And the next one uh, <laughs> from Naughty Jewels on uh, Apple Podcast mm-hmm. Review. Yep, love and that name Naughty as well. Naughty Jewels, that is a good one. This is another five-star again. The title of this was Maybe It's You. And we think they were possibly talking. Our boy, our boy Hank House. Yeah. Oh, good Which is just a heads up. If you guys throw a one-star review, you may end up on the show <laughs> for a solid year. <laughs> for a year. <laughs> Here we go. Maybe it's you. Says, if you don't like this show, then it's a you problem. I'm sorry if no one else has told you that before, but take this as the opportunity for growth. Seriously, though, it is so rare to find a place where the hosts are not trying too hard and are generally interesting. These dudes are hilarious, smart, and incredibly respectful of each other's opinions. It's refreshing to listen to people and have an actual dialogue and conversation versus just yelling at each other and shutting down. I've yet to find an episode I don't like in their years of content. Thank you, Naughty Jewels. Yeah, thank you very much, Naughty Jules. Also, it's terrifying when people think that we're smart. I was, uh, (laughs) yeah, I'm reading it. I'm like, man, they think pretty highly of us. Yeah, I know. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you a lot. We appreciate that. I'm like, where are you at on the bell curve? If you think I'm smart, God help us all. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, Naughty Jules. No, obviously, you're great. Also, was it naughty, like N-A-U-G-H-T-Y? It was N-O-T-T-Y? N-O-T-T-Y. Oh, they could have been a testicular cancer survivor. Yeah, Naughty Jules. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they got oh, like wow. knots in their balls. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so we're making all kinds of. Uh, oh, no, no, no. We I'm love you, Naughty Yo, Oh, no, no. I'm just saying we're just throwing stuff out there. Yeah, why not? Maybe something sticks. It could happen. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Okay. Well, that covers our uh, from the inbox, as, as far as I can recall. Unless anybody else has something else. Buddy, you got anything? No. Oh, okay. Good. That's it. We'll keep sending us stuff. Uh, we love reading your stuff on the air, especially if it's good. Even if it's bad, sometimes that can be real fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Well, are you guys ready to dive into Saddam Insane? We're going to do pre-show scores? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do pre-show. <laughs> and then we should actually just keep that in. <laughs> All right. Let's get to preliminary scores. Let's do preliminary scores. Randy, what you got? All right. So when I think of Saddam Hussein, there's a couple images that I have. You alluded to it in the intro when you talked about the cartoonish personality right after i should say iraq invaded kuwait yep literally the amount of just like meme worthy cartoons and everything that was associated with being bad kind of looked like saddam hussein absolutely oh yeah absolutely he's a cartoon dictator like military uniform it's absurd yeah it was like animaniacs looney tunes all that stuff any movie after that for the next decade oh yeah that guy was just again the hot shots movies (laughs) all of it man all of it so that image of him in his military uniform like when we were going to war with him the dark black mustache and then the other image i have is kind of fucked up 
Um, it was when he got hung. I remember you watching that, and I was we were roommates. Yeah, and I refused to watch it because I don't like watching people die. And it was and Randy like, was like, "I'm gonna watch this. Yeah, shit. I'm gonna watch yeah. that one go down." And they they put it on. They let they us watch did. it. Yeah, I remember we were vacationing down on the Georgia coast when that happened. When he was uncovered, and yep. um, they have that picture of him, like or the video of him looking all crazy with the long hair, yeah. like coming out like a rabbit hole or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, the Georgia coast lit up when they hung him. Like it's not, I mean, yeah. not the proudest moment I look back at, but I mean, still it's, I mean, the guy sucked dick, but oh, I mean, terribly. it's whatever, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like when Ted Bundy died, I was like, fry his ass. <laughs> fry, I'm just kidding. I was like six. I don't really remember it, but I would be, I mean, I'm not a, a necessarily a huge death, uh, advocate. penalty advocate. Oh no, that guy got just deserved. But that's what oh, I'm saying. Yeah. There's always a level where you're like, yeah, you should just let that motherfucker die real quick. Yeah, yeah. publicly. Gaddafi. Like, that was one of the most. That like, one was brutal, man. Yeah, that one was. That one was tough to watch, except for when yeah, when Tosh made it a joke, which was hilarious. But like <laughs> actually getting a K bar knife put up your asshole, and that's how you die. Oh. For those of you that don't know how Momar Gaddafi died. Yeah, yeah, K bar knife right up the butthole. Mm-hmm. Kanabe! All right, continue with your score. All right, so again, my two images is him as the president, us fighting in war, and then him dying. But kind of the cultural place he put himself in our culture. You know yes. what I mean? It did. It kind of implanted this image of a bad guy. And I really do think um, it has not helped people from the Middle East in the slightest kind of overcome mm-hmm. some possible prejudices that they face it's true. Um, in their everyday life over here. So, and then yeah. all of a sudden it's like, wait. Is that Ben Laden's music? And <laughs> 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 it is doubled up. And yeah. Then, yeah, and all of a sudden everybody just hated fucking Arabs, and you're like, oh, yeah, they're pretty been cool. A, it's like, been a be- tough run. Yeah. yeah, it's been a tough run. But honestly, knowing what I know, uh, just about Iraq in general, it, it's always been, honestly, this should have been two countries long ago because it's two different sections of Muslims that live there. It's the Sunnis and the Shiites, right? Yes. And they're divided in half, and he's one of them and hates the other kind. And pretty much set out to kill a bunch of the people in his own country and did so. Killed, I don't want to put a number on it yet. I'm well, sure we'll find out. We're certainly going to get into this. Yeah, yet. but it's a lot. It's a lot yeah. of his own people that he killed. Um, so when we talk about like upper echelon of our scale, mm-hmm. I mean, the highest we've ever done was Bin Laden at 10.6. Hitler mm-hmm. tops out at 11. <laughs> at 11. Mm-hmm. And then the next closest was Christopher Columbus. And honestly, I put Hussein in front of Christopher Columbus. Sure. So I'm going to have Saddam Hussein pre show. The 10.45. 10.45 for Saddam Hussein for Randy. That's right. Buddy, what you got? All right. So for me, um, yeah, Saddam Hussein was the uh, number one bad guy, like Mikey was talking about in the intro. Um, back in the 90s, he was the villain. It was just Saddam Hussein was insane. And, you know, some of the stories that we, we heard and, you know, we're being told as kids, I mean, it was just, it was crazy. I mean, living here in the United States thinking that that kind of stuff was going on here in the world and present day was just insane to me. He's an absolutely horrible individual. His sons are absolutely pieces of shit. Yeah, sons are fucking nuts, dude. Like, yeah, Uday and Kusei? Oh, yeah, I know. They were like feeding guys the tigers and shit. I watched a little bit of the HBO uh, special. Um, Uday's live from New York when he does stand-up. That's right, yeah. <laughs> he opened up for John Mulvaney, I think yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, on HBO. It was something like uh, Saddam's not Saddam's Iraq, but it was like a four-part miniseries okay. uh, where they kind of cover his life. And I watched the first episode of it, or first two episodes of it, and I mean, like, Uday is just insane. Yeah, he was, he was like I said, there was a lot there that I had to intentionally avoid going down that rabbit hole because he was probably objectively worse than Saddam. 
he was a legitimate sadist, but he just isn't as consequential in terms of like global history yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. So I was like, you know, fuck off, Uday. You know, I did watch your comedy special. It wasn't that funny. <laughs> <laughs> Two thumbs down. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, it's just somebody that, you know, uh, I'm very familiar with them, but I don't, I never really did any deep dives. You know, we just heard, you know, of a couple of the atrocities that he did and, you know, invading Kuwait and stuff like that. So uh, I'm interested to see what we uncover here in the courtroom today. Pre-show, I'm right up there with, you know, right around the same ballpark that Randy's at. You know, he's definitely ahead of Christopher Columbus in my book. And I have a feeling he's going to eke out above Osama bin Laden by the end of the episode. P- potentially... Potentially for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, but pre-show, I've got him at a 10.25. Okay. And uh, we'll see where he lands with the final verdict. All right. 10.25 for Buddy. Mikey, what you got? Okay. So, f- before we even get into that, I, a lot of people that are listening, maybe not, they don't realize it. As we're doing these prelim scores, Randy and Buddy look at the actual charts. And I never do. I just never look at it, right? Even when we're done. I'm just you guys may notice that I'm much more about like round numbers and I just throw ballparks out there. So but this time, because I was like, it is such a consequential and high score. I was like, I have to sort of set my anchor point here somewhere. And as they were reading through the scores, I was looking at our list. And I was like looking through our list and was just I mean, some of this shit is just so funny. Somehow, and this is honestly a lot my fault. Andrew Jackson, the guy who's responsible for the Trail of Tears, is significantly better than Gigi Allen, a punk rocker from New Hampshire. <laughs> so, so honestly, we're probably going to do a show here. We're probably going to do a show here uh, soon where we sort of talk about what we do in the background and how this stuff happens. How our uh, podcast kind of works. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. But this was just one that caught me because I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I never even look at this score. All right. So anyways, with that in mind, um, I'm going to start this off uh, pretty quick and sweet. You guys are right. He's a fucking asshole, horrible person. I'm going to put him at 10. 10 to start because we have a lot to cover. Awesome. All right. With a 10.45 from Randy, a 10.25 from Buddy, and a 10.0 from Mikey, Saddam Hussein's pre-show asshole score is a 10.23. All right, 10.23, high, high score between Christopher Colombo at 9.67 and Osama bin Laden at 10.6. Second highest score pre-show of all time. That's where I had it landing before we started, just in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. In my mind. Okay. Military boot seems to fit. That is right. Are you guys ready to march on this shit? Let's take it on. Saddam Larry Hussein is born on April. <laughs> is born on April twenty eighth, nineteen thirty seven, in Tikrit, Iraq. Obviously, I'm kidding. He has no middle name. It's just Saddam Hussein. He has no middle name. No middle name. It's not Larry, huh? <laughs> I know. You know, it's good when we start off with a laugh. Uh, but his life, uh, like the show, gets off to a really rocky start. What year was he born? Nineteen thirty nine. Nineteen thirty seven. Thirty seven. All right. In Tikrit. Uh, because his father, depending on the source, either disappears a few months before he's born or dies of cancer a few months before he's born. So one way or another, Saddam is ghosted by his dad before he's even born. Worse still, his 12-year-old older brother dies of cancer right before Saddam enters the world as well. Oh. Which had me wondering if the Husseins lived on some kind of like Iraqi super fun side or some shit. <laughs> Just like absorbing horrific chemicals into their bodies unknowingly. 
because two potential cancer deaths in a short period at ages that are statistically anomalous really just makes me scratch yeah. my head. That's yeah. Wild. Anyway, the tragedy of the death of his brother and the disappearance of his father is too much for his mother to handle. Saddam's mother tells people that she is carrying Satan in her belly. Oh, man. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Well, she, you know, wow. She was almost like a fortune teller. Like she had the Antichrist in her. Yeah. I have the devil in my belly. And <laughs> step up to my crystal ball. That's not a crystal ball. That's just uranium in your house. <laughs> Call me now. <laughs> Call me now. <laughs> Go on, treat you like a roadside gal. <laughs> As Dr. Gerald Post, the then director of George Washington's University Political uh, Psychology Program, recounted in his book, Leaders and Their Followers in a Dangerous World, quote, the trauma left Saddam's mother, Suba, so desperately depressed that she tried and failed to abort Saddam and kill herself. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Saddam survives the abortion attempt, and Suba angrily names him Saddam, which is Arabic for stinky poophead. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's uh, Arabic for the one who confronts, which... I don't fully understand. Honestly, Nitin Boobhead would be better, which according to Google Translate is Arabic for stinky poophead. <laughs> I didn't One more time, time is it? It is uh, Nitin Boobhead. Nitin Boobhead Hussein. Uh, Nitin Boobhead Hussein. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Stinky poophead Hussein. Yeah, I actually was at work when I Googled that, the translate <laughs> one, to just put that in there real quick. Anyway, after he's born, Suba is incapable of being a capable nurturing mother. She will have nothing to do with the child, and ultimately it's decided that the best option is to send him away to his uncle, uh, Kairala Talfa. By the way, there's a lot of Arabic names here. They're tough to pronounce. I apologize. As well, you should. Yes, true. Now, Talfa is a significantly better guardian than Suba at that point, and Saddam basically adopts him as a father figure. But Talfa himself is a problematic character. He is a devout Sunni Muslim and ardent Arab nationalist, and he was, according to many at the time, a Nazi sympathizer uh, and spent a lot of his free time drafting pamphlets that he passed around. Pamphlets with titles like, Three Who God Shouldn't Have Created, Persians, Jews, and Flies. Flies? Which ones are those? Flies are like like house flies. Oh, it's oh, just wow. slang yeah. for some sort of other No, it's group. just saying that he's, he's pairing Persians and Jews with house flies. Yeah. Wow. Kind of, I guess house fly, or flies out there are kind of like cockroaches here, in a sense. I mean, anytime you start talking about humans as bugs, there's going to be yeah. a problem. I think it's just a general <laughs> yeah. comparison. You go yeah. read about the Rwandan genocide, they were calling them cockroaches. If they start calling your group of people like roaches or flies, it's time to get the fuck out. Yeah. I'm just Quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like I said, the Nazi sympathizing definitely makes more sense with that kind of a title. Anyway, little Saddam is only with Talfa for a couple years because when Saddam is three, his mother marries a distant relative and decides that it's time to bring him back for a Griswold-esque family experience. That distant relative that Suba married is a guy named Ibrahim al-Hassan, and he is, unfortunately for little Saddam, not like Clark Griswold in the slightest. Interestingly enough, from one article I found, Ibrahim al-Hassan was already married when Suba locked in on him. He could have added Suba to his family as a second wife, as is allowed in, I guess, Islam, but she wouldn't share him, so she forced him to divorce his first wife. So, like I said, Suba, she sounds like a real peach. (laughs) Oh, man, they depict her as a real peach on the show as well. But Hassan, Al-Hassan, is definitely worse. He was known in their village as Hassan the Liar, which is... Just hilarious. I just, I just like little Man. village nicknames. Yeah. You got like the town drunk. 
There's Hassan the liar. There's <laughs> Ibrahim the tiny wiener yeah. man. He's like, so do you, do you think the, the people like me around here? They're like, uh, yeah. What do they call me? Um, the liar. Ah, oh, like a lion. I will be truthful and tell you. I think you're mistaken. They call me Hassan the lion. Wrong. <laughs> yes, the lion. Do you yes. see what I'm talking about, Hassan? <laughs> do you see this? Hassan this. the lion. I'll take it. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Hassan, according to the CIA profile, was an abusive stepfather as well. Neighbors and early childhood friends of Saddam's report that uh, Hassan would sometimes beat Saddam to wake him up, often shouting epithets like, You son of a dog! I don't want you! To wake him up? Yeah, to wake Jeez. him up. Man. Yeah, which I'm like, dude, Hassan, like, chill with the son of a dog stuff, my dude. Suba's <laughs> totes in the other room, my man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Suba. Shut up in there, bitch. Suba was getting on to Saddam in the show at one point saying that Uday was just a piece of crap. and uh, Nailed it. She has a, she can read characters. <laughs> this is true. It sounds like she was a pretty good judge, she, except for the whole, my, your dad was in, evil. Glad you didn't meet him. But. Yeah. Well. well, and so she's like basically saying, Saddam, you know, get your boy in line. And he's like, what do you want me to do? Raise a fist to him like uh, Hassan did to me? Yeah. And so uh, on one hand, like... Maybe I'm, meet in the middle. Yeah, let's meet him somewhere in the middle. Yeah. It could have gone know, a long maybe way. Maybe an open hand. <laughs> you don't have to wake him up telling him he's a piece of shit and beating him up, but, yeah. like, you know, correct his behavior sometimes. Yeah, yeah, Just exactly. a little bit. Yeah. You know? yeah. Your w- mom made me divorce that sweet pussy. <laughs> Son of a dog. <laughs> oh, man, we're going to get in trouble with our downloads in the Middle East on this episode. <laughs> Uh, perhaps worse, uh, has, I don't know if that's really worse, but I don't know why I wrote that. Anyways, Hassan makes Saddam steal for him and reportedly makes, oh, uh, this is worse, uh, makes Saddam commit his first murder, which occurs, according to Saddam, at the ripe old age of 10. Oh, what? wow. So his stepdad got him to start stealing for him and then he killed somebody at 10. Yeah, he had him kill somebody. Saddam killed somebody at 10. Now, like I said, we've covered a lot of bad upbringings on the show, a lot of absentee fathers and abuse, but I feel very comfortable in saying here that if there's been a bad childhood Olympics, Saddam Hussein is taking the fucking gold. Man. Easy. Jeez, yeah. man. 10 years old, first murder? Yeah. Jeez. The guy that beats your ass and calls you a son of a dog, and he's like, kill that guy. Yeah. Anyway, the same year that Saddam marks his first person, he also finally gets tired of the abuse from Hassan and bails. He goes back to his uncle Talfa in Baghdad. Talfa's flavor of politics are especially influential to a young Saddam, particularly Arab nationalism. And after attending the nationalistic Al-Khar Secondary School in Baghdad in 1957, at age 20, Saddam joins the Ba'ath Party, whose ultimate ideological claim was to improve personal hygiene across Iraq with improved (laughs) baths and shower facilities. It is headed by Mr. Bubble. Nice. Obviously, that's a joke. Uh, Bath is spelled differently, and its primary goal was the unity of Arab states in the Middle East, which sounds much less fun than an actual bath party with Mr. Bubble. (laughs) Anyway, with the membership to the bath party, Saddam has a new focus in life, and he takes it very seriously. So seriously, in fact, that the next year, 1958, he pops off and kills his communist brother-in-law. This time, however, young Saddam doesn't get away with murder. He gets arrested and catches some prison time. Six full months. Which... Man, if I'm only catching six months of prison time, the allure of murder becomes much greater in my mind. So it was oh, his brother-in-law, man. like I, not his—he wasn't married yet, but probably one of his siblings. Yeah, his sisters. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Man, kills him, gets six months. Does it say how he kills him? I think he shot him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of shooting going on in the show. That's an easy one. That's yeah. the easiest one. I mean, it's like a cheat code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> Takes a little bit more effort to strangle somebody or you know stab them. Yeah. Uh, plus, you could, you know, I don't know, you can shoot from a distance. 
I don't know how it happened, but it happened at a <laughs> yeah. barbecue. All right. A lot <laughs> of the shootings are up close in the show. So. Oh, well, yeah. Point blank. blank. But it was at a barbecue, you think? I'm <laughs> um, just, I don't oh, know, man. making shit up. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> I mean, you figure that's when families get together, right? <laughs> I'm just thinking of like South Central or Compton. <laughs> it's just a, a barbecue just a shooting. shooting at the, yeah. Yeah. The block party. Uh-huh. Yeah. Saddam Hussein shot his brother-in-law. He's running from the cops yeah. in his fucking turban. And Got like, your ass, yeah. yeah. No, but like I said, I mean, it's crazy. He's, he gets just six months' time for that. Like I said, so I just keep thinking about if I had to do six months, like, I mean, I may kill a lot more people, like people that park in the street when they have empty driveways. <laughs> Dead. <laughs> people that play music out of their cell phones in public places. Dead. <laughs> people that have speakers attached to their backpacks and blare their shitty music while hiking or snowboarding. Dead. Oh, they're first to go. Yeah. Massive look at us gender reveal parties. Wait till the kid's born, then they're dead. <laughs> you guys want to add in on here? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, hang on. You said one earlier that had my, I didn't want to cut you off. Yeah. So here's one I'll add. Okay. Uh, people that walk around in public places and have whoever they're talking to on speakerphone. Oh, like oh, at absolutely. the grocery store? They're Home Depot. Like when we were in store. the security line uh, to fly to Denver and that guy oh, was having a conversation. on his phone, yeah. a speakerphone in the yep. TSA fucking yep. line That's with right. a thousand people around That's him right. just on a speakerphone call. Yep. Yeah, I don't understand that at all. Oh, yeah. Like, what is the point? Yeah. You got another one? People that park out in front of the fucking grocery store and just hit their hazards while they wait for somebody to go yes. inside. Oh. And it completely jumps up the fucking the yep. walkway, the drive-in. The Kroger yeah, especially house, like dude. when it's a thin lane up there too. Yep. Yeah, dead. Fuck you. Yeah. Go find a fucking parking spot or drive around the parking lot yeah. like us other freaks, man. Yeah. But don't yeah. fucking park right up front. And just hit your hazards and just act like we don't see you. Yeah. The fuck yeah. out of here. And you know, since we live in Atlanta, traffic's always an issue. So it's like the slow drivers in the fast lane. Oh, get the fuck out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. People that post their shitty meals constantly on social media. Oh, yeah. Dead. Yeah, yeah. Couples that make out heavily in public or walk around with their hands in each other's back pockets. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's the universal sign of uh, the guy that doesn't have any money. It's like what he <laughs> said. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. it is. You got to hold on tight. Got to hold on tight, boy. All right, I'm done. All I'm right. done. Nice. All right, sorry. Great list. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, also, you guys should add to it if you guys want to hit us up on Instagram. Tell us people that you would kill for only six months of prison six time. Six months of jail time. That's and don't say man. Mikey. Because <laughs> I'll report you. Hands up. Give me all your money. Well, enough money for a cheeseburger from the value menu, at least. We are now live on Patreon. Find us there at patreon.com slash AHC podcast to get all the latest episodes of Conspiracy Court, ad-free shows, shout-outs, stickers, and a whole lot more. It would be a crime if you didn't. Big thanks to all our fans, and we appreciate all your support. Let's dive back into the action. During that time, Saddam is serving the six hard months for fucking murdering someone. There's a lot happening in Iraq. The monarchy of Iraq is teetering on the edge as various groups seek to undermine and overthrow the government. On 14th of July, 1958, Iraqi General Abd al-Karim Qasim uses troop movements planned by the government as an opportunity to seize military control of Baghdad and overthrow the monarchy. The king, Faisal II, Several members of the royal family and their close associates, including Prime Minister Nuri al-Said, were executed. The game in Iraq has changed, but the Ba'athists aren't too keen on Qasim either. They immediately begin making plans on their very own assassination and coup attempt. And they fresh out of prison Saddam Hussein, who is renowned even at this time for love and a good murder, is selected to be on the assassination squad. Well, 
to be fair, he's selected as a replacement for another assassin who called in to work sick, pretty much. <laughs> so <laughs> Saddam is a bench-warming assassin that got pulled into the game in the bottom of the ninth. So that's cool. Anyway. I've got the runs. I cannot make <laughs> yes. it in today. I am sorry. I cannot overthrow the government today. He said, the ice is too bad in my driveway. <laughs> I cannot make it. I don't trust. Well, if you, you know, I understand. If you're, if you're, feeling, if you're feeling concerned about I, your safety. I do not feel safe. Yes, yes. Well, okay. Well, then I'll, I'll just try to fill your spot because that's, that's what a manager does. We'll see you tomorrow, right? <laughs> I, I'm only irritated because I've had to have that call so many times. Uh-huh. Uh, anyways, all right. So, you know. Joins the squad. It's whatever. October seventh, nineteen. It's whatever. <laughs> yeah. I'm just on a fucking assassin squad. It's whatever. You know. October seventh, nineteen fifty nine. The plan is simple enough. Worked before on targets like Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, go check out that fun episode, by the way, if you haven't. Absolutely. Uh, basically, you wait until the target approaches in a car, and you pop out from behind some kind of cover and shoot the car until the inside looks like blended up strawberries. It's pretty straightforward, right? <laughs> yeah. Pretty easy uh, description. Yeah, it doesn't take a mastermind to plan that, you know? It's not like some sort of special poison that they have to sneak in with the chef and put it in. No, you just wait till he drives by, everybody pops out and shoots him. Yeah, this isn't like Putin putting, uh, what was it, the radioactive? Oh, yeah, 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 polonium. Uh, yeah, polonium yeah, in exactly. the tea, yeah. you know? Well, the assassination squad decides that they should position shooters on both sides of the road. <laughs> just to make sure. <laughs> now, this makes sense if you're firing from elevated position, but these guys are not. So when Kasim's car pulls up, they all do their thing. They pop out from behind stuff and begin shooting. Trouble is, they've basically created a circular firing squad, which, yes, is in fact a shorthand reference for any horribly dumb and self-harming idea. But they actually do it. Saddam gets hit by his own guys. Now, according to some sources, Saddam was only supposed to provide cover for the real shooters, but instead got antsy and fired his gun early, which threw all the timing off and created a like disorganized melee. But who knows? Either way, maybe don't rely on your bench for the championship game. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he takes off and heads for the rendezvous point where the getaway driver is waiting. Except the getaway driver isn't waiting. Instead, he's in a cafe playing backgammon. Oh, what? For real. For real. So everything's going badly, but they consider that they, at least they killed Kasim, so the other stuff is just like speed bumps, you know? And it is true that Kasim was indeed hit by bullets, but he actually survives. Huh. So this botched mission made the conspirators to kill Archduke Franz Ferdinand look like a, like smooth operators. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You've never heard that story about when they tried to kill Franz Ferdinand. Fascinating. World War One got started by a bunch of fucking dildos, dude. Yeah, man. They were like, stop by, dude. <laughs> a gorilla prince up. He was like, fuck it. Didn't work out. I'm going to get a sandwich. Here comes the car. He's like, okay. There it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they just made a wrong turn. Oh. Otherwise, yeah, it wouldn't happen. Anyways, but there is one positive for the Bathist, and that is that at the time of the attack, it had fewer than a thousand members. But following the assassination attempt in the news cycle, they get significant exposure, and suddenly the Bath Party is like so hot right now. <laughs> Saddam, injured both physically and egotistically, goes in exile, which is the only option he really has. He initially escaped to Syria and then to Egypt itself in uh, February 1960, and he continued to live there until 1963 graduating from high school in 1961 and unsuccessfully pursuing a law degree at Cairo Law School. Uh, additionally, there are reports of, of him having frequent contacts with Western and especially U.S. intelligence services at this time, which would make sense because, honestly, 
they tried to assassinate the leader of that country. Yeah. Then they know. I mean, they're tracking. They, they know, know where this guy's are. at. Yeah. They're gonna be like, "What's going on over there? What's going on with the Bathists?" Yeah. Now again, this is all speculative, but it really sort of tracks. And weren't they also on the flip side, like gathering intel from, like, hey, we'll tell you, but we want some access to like satellites and stuff like that, or just some kind of intel to. Well, they always, yeah, that's called human intelligence or human for short. Yep. So they always have people that they could go. They don't even have to exchange anything, you know, whatever. They could just be like, what's going on? Tell me what's going on. They can make it feel important or whatever it is. But you have like signals intelligence, which is like wiretaps or satellites and stuff like that, and you have human. Human intelligence. So I'm saying would have absolutely been maybe not an asset, but he would have been somebody they may have gone to. Sure. Anyway, back to Iraq. Now, Kasim knows that he uh, very narrowly dodged death, but for one reason or another, he doesn't really adjust his approach to governance going forward. He demands that the privately held Iraq Petroleum Company (IPS) sell a 20% stake to the Iraqi government, increase production, and hire Iraqi staff and managers. They refuse. So in December of 1961, Kasim instead nationalizes even more of the oil company than what he asked for initially. The trouble is, although the name Iraq Petroleum Company may suggest Iraqi involvement, it really is just a company name for a group of British and American businessmen. Huh. And if there's ever something you don't want to do as the leader of a third world country in the 1950s and 60s is to nationalize your oil production and jettison the American and British interests involved. Just ask Iran's uh, Mohammed Mosaddegh. Yeah. Side note here, the government of uh, Iraq under Kasim, along with five petroleum exporting nations, met at a conference held September 10th through the 14th, 1960 in Baghdad, which led to the creation of the International Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, or OPEC. OPEC, OPEC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this guy is largely responsible for OPEC, which would later become a significant thorn in the side of the U.S. just a decade or so later, and ultimately play into everything as we go Everything, along. yeah. Yep. Anyway, British and U.S. officials and multinationals demand that the Kennedy administration place pressure on the Kasim regime. No big surprise there. So in 1962, both the Ba'ath Party and the United States Central Intelligence Agency begin plotting to overthrow Kasim, with U.S. government officials cultivating supportive relationships with Ba'athist leaders and others opposed to Kasim. On February 8, 1963, the Ba'athists get a better team together, and Kasim is overthrown in the Ramadan Revolution. Some question whether the CIA was actively involved or just aware, but like pertinent contemporary documents relating to the CIA's operation in Iraq have remained classified, so you don't know. But everybody's pretty much just like, yeah, dude. How does stuff like that play out? Like, I guess, how did they overtake the government? Did it tell you, or was it a long story? Or Well, no, I mean, are you talking about like the CIA? or Well, just, no, how do they, like... They decided, yeah, we're not going to be governed this way, and they just... A coup can happen usually. Is, it's pretty internal, right? Like, yeah. especially if you have a strong military. All it takes is a... Coups happen all the time. I mean, Caesar was installed with a coup, right? Yeah. When he crossed the Rubicon, that was it. He was a very powerful general who had more power than we maybe should have, and so he could actually sort of dictate what was going to happen. He was like, who's going to fucking stop me now? Same thing sort of happened uh, over in Russia just in June or whatever with uh, Prigozhin. Right, like he was in charge of the Wagner Group, yeah. which is a, basically a private military. Yep, and fuck around, and that can happen. But it happens in a, in a bunch of different ways. Now, how does the CIA do it? Well, they show up and they will give these people money. They don't go in there themselves like a oh, bunch yeah. of you know in yeah. suits and be like, "It's over, dude." <laughs> they just they find people. They're like, "These people have a really good chance of overthrowing this government, and we can coerce them to be on our side." I guess you made yeah. a really good comparison. If knowing like how unstable. Russia was a few months ago, yeah. and then they turned around and headed back to Moscow. We're like, holy shit, mm-hmm. this might be it. Oh, yeah. and But I could see that would be a yep. situation where, all right. You're looking for a sense. destabilized government. Yeah, you roll you in go. there, you need something to get done, and then you just pay people that have a really good chance of getting it done. Yeah. Huh. All right. 
I solved my own problem. That's it. <laughs> uh, anyways, Kasim was given a short show trial and was shot soon after. Uh, so with General Kasim Swiss cheesed up, Saddam felt safe to return uh, to Iraq from exile. So he does, with some expectations uh, that the now ruling Ba'ath Party will remember his bravery with the initial assassination attempt and reward him justly. But no. The Ba'ath Party appears to think that after the botched operation, Saddam isn't really built for like leadership material. So they give him a low-level bureaucratic job uh, working with Iraqi peasants. I'm sure he hates that. Yeah. yeah this sucks for Saddam. But he just grinds through uh, for the next few years, as many of us do. Until well, entry level job there. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> entry Get level bath in the job. Door. Yeah. Got his foot like, in the door. That's right. He's like, I'm definitely getting that VP position. It's happening. They're like, mm, you know what? <laughs> you really need to work on your soft skills and really, you know, objectively. You know, There's some work. issues there. Yeah. You know? Have y'all been listening to Sharpshooter Saddam? Thinks he's going to get to be VP? Yeah. And I don't know about this. I yeah, don't right. think so. That guy, he fucking, he created a circular firing squad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Short <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Dumb, you know yeah. what I'm and his luck comes in the form of yet another coup. Although this one is bloodless when Ahmed Hassan al-Bakr successfully overthrows third Iraqi president, Abdul Rahman Arif. Saddam takes part in this effort, although it's largely agreed upon by most now that it was fairly minimal, at least in terms of the actual coup itself. Although Saddam tells a story that he personally led Arif to the airport by gunpoint. I don't know what the truth is, but it doesn't really matter because this is all great stuff for his future. Of course. So what's so great for Saddam, right? I mean, why is this such a big deal for him? Well, al-Bakr is Saddam's cousin. And following the successful coup, al-Bakr is named president and Saddam... Well, Saddam is named as deputy and deputy chairman of the Ba'athist Revolutionary Command Council. Nepotism knows no bounds. Wow. He just went from entry level to, like, he exec. Did. He went from dog catcher to VP. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. yeah. It's like uh, there's a show I watch called American Auto, okay. where uh, one of the guys worked in the factory, and, of course, the CEO came in, thought he had good ideas one day, and now he's an executive for the company. Ah, uh, yes. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 That's man. That sounds like it's set up for the show. <laughs> it's pretty good. I like the show. <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, honestly, hilarity ensues. That's right. I'm a big fan of internal hires. They know the system better yeah. than anybody. Uh, and I do sort of miss the idea of people working their way up from the mailroom. It's true. Yeah. Well, why not? Anyways, honestly though, even though the Bathurst predecessors to his cousin Al Bakker didn't think much of Saddam, they were missing out on the fact that Saddam was pretty fucking capable. There were a couple of things that really made Saddam special at the time. First he had a pretty good grasp on the fractious nature of Iraqi politics at the time, his own party included. Second, he was more than willing, arguably even happy, to employ violence as a means to an end. Not only does he do so willingly, he's really good at it. He effectively becomes the head assassin and security minister for the country. In this role, he reigns in dissident individuals and groups, issuing many decrees that spelled death for individuals who made political statements against the regime. It was quickly known to the general population that people who delivered anti-government speeches or protests or who simply voiced criticism of the regime or the president were putting themselves at risk. And Saddam staffs his department with all of his buddies from Tikrit, people from his own tribe. So that loyalty is like already built into the equation. And he knew they were already violent gangsters who weren't afraid of a dust-up or a torture session. And boy, oh boy, did a lot of people get tortured. So he comes in like mafia style almost with all of his friends yep, from home absolutely. and family yep. members. and Fucking it's just street like, gang. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what they always were. Yeah. I'm saying when he was a kid, his stepdad was having to go steal and kill and shit like that. Yeah. Hassan the liar or Hassan the lion, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> mm-hmm. he likes it's to con- Hassan the lion. Yes. Yeah. He likes to confront. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And I does. roar real loud. Yeah. <laughs> Rory. <laughs> Rory. 
not only that, but unlike a lot of other security heads in authoritarian countries, Saddam likes to actually participate in tortures himself. See, this uh, is where it gets fucked up. Yeah, yeah. this is See? where we, we start to build Scores the score. going up, yeah. boys. Tick, tick, tick. I don't know, though. You know, I mean, he had a bad childhood. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so did Gigi Allen. It's true, and he didn't torture anybody but our ears. Himself. Yeah. Oh. He, and his butthole. He, yeah. Or maybe he pleased it, yeah. depending on who you are. True. Mm-hmm. Again, true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Randy seems displeased. <laughs> I don't know if what he did is pleasing to anyone, but. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, he eventually develops a manual for torture with 107 various techniques to be employed. This includes methods like lashes on the palms of your hands and bottoms of your feet, oh. electrocution. What was titled the parakeet, which was hanging people from fans on the ceiling and beating them. And also, I'm like, dude, they were making some heavy duty fans in Iraq. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's like, definitely way about a buck twenty five. That's true, but hey, they don't make fans like they used to. I tried <laughs> to true. hang my son by my ceiling fan and paddle him, <laughs> cracked right through right there. Right through. He only weighs like sixty pounds. Customer service still hasn't returned my call. Yeah. Or there was the submarine, which is dropping the head of a person into a bucket of water and then into an acid pool. There was also a big appreciation for putting cigarettes out into prisoners' eyes. Oh. <laughs> Yowie. Oh, God, like, yeah. I was expecting skin, but just, eyes. Ow. Anything with the eyes is always bad. Oh. Like, I don't know, man. As a human, how can you? I don't like, understand it either. Uh, I would just get sick. Like, and they probably laugh and. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think at a certain point, it's not great. I mean, like I said, it's the infamous Funky Town video with the, the Mexican cartel, which I refuse to watch. Will not watch it, but everybody talks about it on the internet. I've heard the description, and I'm like, absolutely not. They literally like peel that man's face off and ooh, show it to him. Ooh, uh, ooh. While Funky Town plays in the background, <laughs> which, is, which is, I think, what makes it so internet famous. <laughs> Won't you take me to Funky Town? I always think of Towley trying to put in the passcode. Yeah. Won't you take <laughs> yeah. Me to- now I'm gonna be honest. This is all jokes aside. If you're listening to the show, do not watch Funky Town. Don't. It'll ruin your life. If you want to watch that type of shit, you should go talk to your therapist. Now moving on. In 1969, just a bit over a year after the shocking Israeli military victory in the Six Day War over Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and Lebanon, the Arab world is big mad at Israel and the Jews. <laughs> Big man. Yeah. Saddam uses that built-in hatred to uh, begin a concerted effort of persecution against Iraqi Jews. The real start of this was Saddam having 14 men and boys arrested for spying for Israel. He said they were spying for Mossad. Early 1969, Saddam has them all hung, and it was televised. But the intentional wow, TV in yeah. the 60s, huh? Yeah, live on TV. Well, I don't know if it's live, but he showed it for sure. But the intentional persecution continues throughout the following decades so that by the time Saddam's reign comes to an end, just 40 years later, there are only 34 Jews remaining in Iraq. Jesus. A country with a population of over 27 million at that time. Oh, my gosh. Chalk up another time Jews have to escape a country. My gosh. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, Iraq is like the birthplace of civilization for the most part. Yeah. Right like around, around there. in that area. Cradle of, so. Zoomer, cradle of cradle civilization. Civilization. Yeah, between yeah. the Tigris and the Euphrates. The Fertile Crescent. That's correct. Yeah. You yeah, know. Exactly. I was like, what are you guys doing, man? You guys don't like pastrami? <laughs> you know what I'm Come saying? on, man. Come on, dude. I, mean, I like kebabs, too. Can I get a pastrami sandwich and a kebab on the side? Oh, man. You know what I'm saying? Baked brisket. I you know. know. This is so easy. It's good. <laughs> anyway, Saddam proves himself so adept at eliminating potential threats to Al Bakr that he is eventually made vice president. 
But while Saddam is basically a straight demon when it comes to torturing and or eliminating political opponents, he's also very adept at playing to the Iraqi people as their benefactor. And to be fair, he actually does get a lot achieved for the Iraqi people in the 1970s. It seems that Al-Bakr gives Saddam a long leash on policy and he just lets him kind of run shop, right? So in 1972, Saddam nationalizes the oil industry in the country. Try this again, huh? He did, yeah. (laughs) And he uses the oil proceeds for national projects to elevate the status of Iraq on the world stage. Within just a few years, Iraq was providing social services that were unprecedented amongst Middle Eastern countries. Saddam established and controlled the national campaign for the eradication of illiteracy and the campaign for compulsory free education in Iraq. And largely under his authority, the government established universal free schooling up to the highest education levels and hundreds of thousands like learn to read in the years following the initiation of the programs. So Saddam Hussein was a big advocate for childhood literacy huh childhood literacy education health care and i'm like he's basically the dolly parton of that area <laughs> he is he <laughs> was the lowest score we have ever right. had on That's asshole right. court good connection there buddy and i'm sitting here i'm like can we just nationalize our fucking oil fields i'm saying shit yeah i want free health care fuck you the government also like, supported families of soldiers granted free hospitalization to everyone and gave subsidies to farmers and Iraq created one of the most modernized public health systems in the Middle East, earning Saddam an award from the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, or UNESCO. Wow. He has an award from UNESCO? <laughs> he does. Wow. I, yeah. I bet they pulled that one back after a while. Or Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know if you can. Yeah, Two out of the tube. That is true. He's got the medal. He's not giving it back. Yeah, what are you going to go into his palace and get it? We need it back. I mean, we went in there and took shits in his toilet. I guess we could pull <laughs> that medal back. And Saddam's timing for nationalizing the oil industry couldn't have come at a better time for him because the year following the nationalization, the members of OPEC, led by King Faisal of Saudi Arabia, proclaimed an oil embargo targeted at nations that had supported Israel during the Yom Kippur War. The initial nations targeted were Canada, Japan, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, and the United States, though the embargo also later extended to Portugal, Rhodesia, and South Africa. By the end of the embargo in March of 1974, the price of oil had risen nearly 300%. Yep. Which translates into a 300% increase in revenues for OPEC countries. And 300% price increase for... Uh, that's right. Yeah, the price of gas. Yep. That's right. That's for the right. end and, uh, user. Yeah. If you're our age, go talk to your parents. The the older boomers that will remember the gas... Uh, like the gas, gas prices, wars. Yeah. yeah. And they would leave... People would leave their cars on the side of the road yep. empty because they couldn't afford or get it to a gas yeah. station... That's when a good uh, a good gas mileage or whatever was like seven seven per <laughs> gallon. Oh, I got the sweet beauty right here. It gets yep. seven per gallon. And you might knock your kid's teeth out on the way home from school. That's if true. You just hit the brakes and they yeah. face smashes into that metal dashboard. They yeah. said, fuck fuel injection. I got a carburetor. <laughs> <laughs> and with the help of increasing oil revenues, Saddam diversified the mostly oil-based Iraqi economy. He implemented a national infrastructure campaign that made great progress in building roads, promoting mining, and developing other industries. The campaign helped Iraqis' energy industries a lot. Like Electricity was brought to nearly every city in Iraq and many outlying areas, which before had been living much like they had for like hundreds of years prior. Wow. Jeez. So the truth is, the 70s are a great time to be Saddam, and legitimately a great time to be an Iraqi, as long as you're not a dissident. Yeah. Yeah. Or you. Yeah. All yeah. 27 of them yeah. left. And I'm just thinking, like, dude, if you weren't such a psycho, you could have actually been, like, a pretty solid leader for your country. Like, that's a lot of progress made. I'm sitting here kind of, like, 
Well, now I know why he was as popular or had as much power. He had the as support. He did. Yeah, yeah look what he did for the country. Yeah, turned it from like the Stone Age to the now. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, you probably could have just like kept going, like doing that thing, and your political opponents might have disappeared on their own, not been disappeared. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, these uh, programs helped Saddam consolidate power while under the auspice of being Al Bakr's VP. Uh, this is not good for Al Bakr, who is apparently blind to Saddam's ambitions. At a certain point in the late 70s, Saddam realizes he has the juice. He's branded himself well with the oil nationalization and the various infrastructure and the education products bought with the oil revenues. The country is on the Saddam train, he decides, not the Al Bakr train. So he begins to undermine Al Bakr at every opportunity, and it works. Al Bakr has been asleep at the wheel while Saddam has racked up political win after political win after political win. Sounds you know. like it, yeah. He's providing for the people. That's right. And, uh... Has the receipts. That's right. And it's important to note that in 1979, Al-Bakr was starting to make treaties with Syria, also under Ba'athist leadership. That would lead to like unification between the two countries. The treaty would have Syrian President Hafez al-Assad become deputy leader in a union, and this would drive Saddam to obscurity, they were saying. So in July 16th, 1979, Saddam presents Al-Bakr with an offer he can't refuse. Two medium pizzas for the price of one and get a free two-liter soda. Nice. Uh, <laughs> he was yeah. like, sign me up. Yes. I'm just kidding. It's resign as president or die, he which was, is definitely not good, uh, like not as good as the two pizza offer. No. And like in the in the show, they showed him like laughing about it. He was like, oh, Saddam, your time will come. Don't worry. Just be patient. Saddam's like, nah, dog. My my time's now. Time's now. And he's like calling for his like security detail. The president is, and he's like, "They're not going to help you. It's it's my time." Yeah. And uh, yeah, you're going to do what I say from now on, pretty huh. much. It's another version of the internal coup. It can come from many many yeah. places. Yeah. Many places. You know, sometimes they may try to storm your capital. <laughs> <laughs> Al Bakker makes a smart decision and decides to not die. Uh, he is placed under house arrest where he will remain for the rest of his life. That was his cousin, right? That was his cousin. Yeah. Possibly getting the good pizza deal <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned to feed himself. Ooh, double shawarma Saturday. <laughs> he said, I'm on house arrest. All I can do is order. They have not created DoorDash yet, <laughs> but they do have delivery. They are hot and ready, but I cannot get there. <laughs> I hope we don't catch shit for this, but I mean, come on. It's just fun. Yeah. It's just a fun accent. That's all it is. And Saddam declares himself the new president. But there are a number of government officials and Ba'athist politicians that don't like the way it all went down. Or maybe they're just tired of the political uncertainty or even want to lay claim to the leadership themselves. Like, who I'm knows? sure he was like, of yeah, what do, you, what do you have to say about that? Okay. Please tell me what you got to say, big dog. Either way, Saddam... Due to being the head of the Iraqi secret police, the Mukhabarat, uh, and other various intelligence apparatuses, is fairly aware of who these people are. And he isn't against speculating either. Like, he's okay. He's like, I think <laughs> that guy is it, but I don't know. He could be. 100%. Let's go find out either way. This sets the stage for one of the most fascinating and terrifying political power consolidations in history. Saddam convenes an emergency session of party leaders on July 22nd, and he orders it to be videotaped. During the opening, he claims to have uncovered a cabal of conspirators against the Iraqi government. Saddam calls out Muhi Abdul Hussein Mashadi, a member of the Revolutionary Command Council and leading member of the Arab Socialist Ba'ath Party in Iraq. Mashadi steps up to the podium, and he's like in obvious distress. Like, he doesn't look comfortable. What the hell is about to happen to me? Well, oh, he knows. It, it has already happened. Uh-huh. 
He looks like he's certainly... Oh, they showed it in the show. It already happened. He admits that he is one of the conspirators and that he has a list of his co-conspirators to read aloud. 68 of them. And it's like a big like session of Congress, oh, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. everybody's there. Now, the idea of a concerted conspiracy is fabricated. There were concerns, uh, but it appears that there wasn't like a plan uh, for Saddam's ouster at that moment. It was too early in the game. Everybody was kind of like thrown off. They're like, oh, shit, al bakr has gone, and now he's saying he's the president. Like six days later, he's like, I'm... Some of the old heads were probably pissed off, uh-huh. didn't like how it went down. Yeah, yeah exactly. In the show, they, they said that he made al bakr suggest that he would be the replacement and then was like look uh and everybody freaked out about it and he was like hey look we're you know i I suggest that we vote about it but we'll do it at the next session let everybody think about it and so everybody goes and thinks about it and he's just planning the coup in that point oh nice and they're torturing what's his name mashadi mashadi at the time and so they're like, you're going to say what the fuck we want you to say. Yeah. Oh, they were torturing the guy that got up. And I was going to oh, yeah. ask if he was a conspirator or. Oh, no, he was. No. They, they tortured him. And they were like, here's the list of the people that you're going to say you. That you oh, man. Co- yeah. Yeah. So like I said, when Mashadi says that he's going to announce his co-conspirators, the entire crowd is absolutely freaking the fuck out. Like silently. You can see the confusion. Yes. Oh, I'm sure. Because it's like all the people who are against Saddam are like, holy fuck, yeah. what's going on Well, there? and even if you're not, you're like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. yeah. They're about to call it 68 names and there's only like, there's like 200 of us in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The odds are bad. Uh-huh. The one guy that was really good at math was really shitting himself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this ratio at all. <laughs> Somewhat slowly, names are called out and security drags the named men out of the building. As it continues, the terror becomes more palpable. Saddam sits back quietly and smokes a cigar. He's just chilling, just watching it. Throughout the ordeal, various members stand and shout their allegiance to Saddam, like, long live the Renaissance Party! Long live Saddam! They're like, I ain't yeah. Yeah. I they ain't the show one. that. They're like, everybody's like, yeah, 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 long live Saddam! Yeah, they're fucking terrified. They're shit in their pants. All their pants are brown. But yeah. like all of them, long live Saddam! Yeah. Well, it was also the 70s, so they were all wearing brown suits anyway, so it, it, it held together pretty well. I'm only bringing that up because I bought a suit recently, and I ordered it. It was online, and I was like, I know my sizing, so it's fine. And I was like, port. The color looked good. I received it. Much more brown than I like. Uh. So I was like, I'm going to have to see how this works out. I had to test it out with a pair of pants first and get everybody's opinion. We'll see. Anyways, you, you back to Saddam. You didn't get it Sean John, did you? I didn't. I went Perry Ellis. Oh, see? You <laughs> got what you deserved. <laughs> Anybody want him? Sean, Sean. I'm just kidding. All right. Finally, when all the traitors have been escorted out, Saddam congratulates those still seated in the room for their past and future loyalty. That's right. Uh-huh. All men escorted out were quickly tried together and found guilty of treason. And here's the most diabolical part. 22 men were sentenced to death. The remaining that were spared were forced to execute those sentenced to death. Literally. What? They line all 22 of them up, and in the show that Saddam has one gun, and he just hands it to the first one, it's like, shoot. Yeah. Boom. It's like, walk off. Now it gets the next guy. Shoot. Boom. Yeah. And they- Man. Yeah. So was it 44? And 22 died and 22 didn't? Yeah, 68. So 46. Okay. 46. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, they were all just lying. So you guys hold it together. Because they didn't do the math right. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. like, touch his dick while he shoots him. You're going to make a chain here. <laughs> Three and one. That's Get it. Get y'all the fuck out of here. I'm trying to eat lunch. <laughs> he said, just put that gun next to his ear and shoot. And that way, it'll, yeah. Uh, the message has been sent. 
All the people that were in there, they're like, thank fucking God. Yeah. Uh, he said, our future loyalty. Well, you got it. Yep. Oh, yeah. Ain't trying to die. One thing that they showed in the show that Saddam did right at that time, too, was that he killed his best friend, who was his right-hand man. What? And um, the logic behind it. And everybody was like, what the fuck? Why did he just kill, like, Randy? Yeah. And the logic behind it. it got to be me? I was, gonna say, <laughs> I was like, why is it going to be Randy? Yeah. I'm not your best friend. <laughs> We're hurt for different reasons. He's like, if my enemies know that I'm willing to shoot my best friend, then they're going to the be... the coldest motherfucker on ice. On ice. Yeah. Cold as ice. Then Saddam shows up at the funeral and goes up to the wife who knows that, you know, knows yeah. that Saddam shot him. And he's like, look, I did this for the party. Me and your husband talked about the party all the fucking time, and we would do anything for it, wouldn't we? And she was like, yeah, he said that. And so he was like, so I fucking did it. And she was like... She's like, you did this for a keg party? I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant the Bathurst the, party, you dumb bitch. God. If he would have just taken a shower. <laughs> no. uh, and she was like, I will... I understand why you did this, and I will support yeah, what she whatever say? you do in the future. Like this, um, but that's how cold this motherfucker oh, was. Yeah. Like, cold as ice. Yeah. yeah, shot his best friend, then showed up at the funeral. Was like, yeah, I did it. It was just like Scarface. Yeah, and Tony like, killed Manny, man. Just like it. You know, you guys might die next. Thanks. <laughs> Keep it real, though. I'm trying to take over this country. That's right. <laughs> Stop making me pay $23 for drinks at a comedy show. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, you fired up, boy. Do you have a show subject that you think would be a great fit for Asshole Court? Hit us up on any of our social media pages and let us know. As you know, we're full of good ideas and some say full of other stuff. But we'd love to hear your ideas as well. Give us a shout and maybe your subject will wind up in our courtroom. We'll definitely give you a shout out. Now, let's dive back into the courtroom. Oh man. All right, so anyways, now firmly in control, Saddam quickly bumps into another problem. In 1979, the Iranian Revolution took place, which pushed the US backed Shah out of power and replaced him with the Ayatollah Khomeini and his theocratic government. This poses a problem for two reasons for Saddam. First, the Ayatollah represents Iran, which is majority Shia. Saddam is a Sunni. And Iraq is ruled by Sunnis who also happen to be a minority, like a pretty small, small minority, minority too. Yeah. yeah. And this all stems from the Sykes-Picot Agreement post-World War I in which England and France basically split up the Middle East based on their needs and the oil needs and didn't bother to worry about tribal alliances or potential in-state conflicts from various sects. But that's a whole other show. Anyways, it all plays out into everything you ever think about the Middle East. Remember this name, the Sykes-Picot Agreement is legitimately what causes so many problems today. The second problem for Saddam is that the Ayatollah and Saddam have a history, and they don't like each other, like, at all. Saddam had actually booted him out of Iraq in 1978. So the Ayatollah was basically exiled from Iran during the Shah's times uh -huh. because they knew that he was a, a, a radical dissident and yeah. was going to, you know, foment potentially a revolution. So he was in Iraq for a while, and then... Saddam kicked his ass out. Fuck out of here. Exactly. So now you got a dude that's like, well, and the reason he kicked him out is because can't he can't sit here. <laughs> Seat's taken. Well, I mean, as you see time and time again, anybody that even poses a little bit of threat to him, he's going to get rid of him immediately. Well, and that's exactly why, because the Ayatollah, at that point, towards the end of his stay in Iraq, 
when he was wearing his welcome out, was actively pushing for the Shia majority to overthrow the Sunni government at the time. So <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't really blame Saddam. Get Saddam the fuck there. out of here. Yeah. Anyways, now that uh, Khomeini had taken over the country next door, Saddam is concerned about the potential influence Khomeini wields over the Muslim Shia as the preeminent Shiite revolutionary throughout the region. Right? He can totally bring all the Shia together. And if you or literally your entire country is like 80% Shia and 20% Sunni, right. and not even that, because you also not, you're not calculating the Kurds. Right. Yeah. So like very minority, it's or a real the, problem. Or the Jews. Well, yeah, all 34 of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. 42. <laughs> Saddam's suddenly feeling pressure from two Shiite factions in Iraq, Dawa and SCIRI, which aspire to swap the Ba'athist government for the Shiite-ruled theocracy. Just like Iran. See, the Ba'athists were more like secular. They were more like standard government, whatever. They weren't necessarily super into religion, like mm-hmm. as part of it. But they were really, they were the ones that were out there wearing Saddam gear. Yeah. Berets and yeah. shit like that, you know. So on the 22nd of uh, September 1980, Iraq launches a full-scale military invasion of Iran. And because Khomeini had overthrown the Shah, a reliable ally of Western powers, especially the U.S., and because the whole U.S. hostage situation following the revolution... The U.S. and Western powers were totally supportive of Saddam, especially when he states that his mission is to topple the Khomeini's like government, right? And initially, the Iraqis had some victories to tally. They are armed well, but are going up against things like F-14 Tomcats, F-4 Phantoms, and AH-1 Cobra helicopter gunships that had been supplied to the previous Iranian government by the U.S. Worse still, the Iranians employ a new weapon onto the battlefield, fanatic suicide bombers. Oh, yeah. yeah. They come in waves and attack Iraqi positions. It's horrific. It's so sad to see. Like they and they they knew what they were doing. It was kamikaze, but like scaled. Oh. Yeah, they would just like it would be, and they, some of them were like kids. They were like 16, 17. Yeah, like because uh, they don't have any money, they don't have anything. No, they take well, them in. And, well, and they're religious fanatics. Yeah. They think that they're like doing holy war, and this yeah. is going to send them to heaven. Like, you live with in a thirty-one fucking, virgins. Yeah, go live whatever. in a gutter and be told your whole life that like you do this shit, you get to go to a really awesome fucking like outback steakhouse, and you don't have to be here anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Peace out. And they were doing it in waves, and it was like the Iraqis didn't. They were like it, it was crazy. It, it turned the tide of the war. Not to mention the F-14s, which uh, Tom Cruise flew for the Iranians. <laughs> <laughs> Iraq quickly finds itself on his back foot and looking for a way to end the war. Saddam goes to his ministers for advice. Health Minister Dr. Uh, Riyad Ibrahim suggests that Saddam could temporarily step down for the purpose of a peace agreement. And Saddam seems to consider it. A month later, Dr. Ibrahim's dismembered body is delivered to his wife. I was about to say, I didn't think that would fly. No. Yeah. No, no. Oppose they, him in any way. Say one wrong thing. But the worst part, though, is he was like, hmm, that's pretty good, Dr. Ibrahim. I'll let you know. I don't love the idea, but we should workshop it a little bit. <laughs> Bring him to my workshop. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then they deliver his dismembered body to his wife. Like, I mean, you know what's up. Saddam the bone doctor. Man. Yeah, that's right. Bone saw. Saddam decides that a reasonable option uh, for moving the needle in this war with Iran is to use chemical weapons. This is a big no-no according to the Geneva Convention Agreements. I was according to everyone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so the U.S. and the West slap sanctions on Iraq and issue a threat to topple Saddam's government if there is any verifiable use of chemical weapons in the conflict. I'm totally kidding. They turn a blind eye, and it can be argued that the U.S. government actually supplied satellite intelligence for the Iraqis for the attacks. Oh, that is unfortunate. no. With an absence of any consequences for using chemical weapons in his war against Iran, 
Saddam gets an idea. See, those pesky Kurds in the north of Iraq have been a real pain in his ass. He thinks it's time to gas them too. So on March 16, 1988, he attacks the town of Halabja with mustard gas and other nerve agents. This results in the death of 5,000 Kurds and the serious injury of 10,000 more. Survivors said, uh, this is actually from a, a thing I read about it. It's, it's, it. This is, I mean, just to understand how horrific this shit is. Survivors of the gas at first smelled of sweet apples and reported that people, quote, died in a number of ways, suggesting a combination of toxic chemicals, end quote. Cited in an interview with a university student who survived the attack, the international NGO Human Rights Watch reported that, quote, some victims just dropped dead, others died of laughing, others took a few minutes to die first burning and blistering or coughing up green vomit, oh. end quote. Yeah, chemical weapons were banned after World War One for a for a reason. Yeah, the Germans were trying to do a lot of Everybody that. Everybody did that like, shit in World War One. Everybody was like gas, ammonia, and bleach, pretty much. They did. They had, they had mustard gas. They had uh-huh. a lot of stuff. You know, the thing is, it's against the Geneva Convention to use gas in an attack, but there's no rules on continuing to make it. Which uh, I'm like, you guys missed a loophole there. Yeah, because <laughs> that's how you end up with stuff like sarin and stuff like that. Which is funny because Saddam used sarin. And the Nazis wouldn't even use sarin. Oh, What's wow. sarin gas? Sarin so it's it's just another it. type of uh, a poisonous gas, but oh, wow. it's especially bad. Like it probably prolongs the death toll. Worse. Or like yeah. it probably takes longer, so uh, it's a lot more... It sucks dick. You yeah. don't want to get gassed. Yeah. Yeah. Read some of those. For some reason, there was a lot of poets that uh, were fighting in World War One because poetry was cool at the time. And there's one, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a, a poem about a guy that basically comes across an entire like platoon of dudes who got gassed. And it's... It's good poetry. You're like, wow. Also horrific. Yeah. It's bad. But yeah. you paint a very clear picture. Yeah. I mean, it's right up there. Like, it's just not scaled to the size of nuclear weapons, but it's arguably, like, worse. It's not a great way to die. So, yeah, he gasses all the Kurds in Halabja. Uh, but Saddam claims that Iran is to blame. It wasn't me. Yeah. And this actually was all occurring during a, a concerted effort from the Iraqi government to, like, fuck the Kurds up and, like, break them apart. So they're like, yeah, you know, the timing's not great. Uh, I don't think Iran did this, but he was like, no, definitely Iran. Punishment I, for Iraqi government officials involved doesn't occur for nearly 30 years for this. Eventually, the Iran-Iraq war ends with a stalemate when a ceasefire is announced on August 20th, 1988. Over half a million people died in the conflict with an additional one million casualties. All for nothing. No ground is gained. No government toppled. Absolutely nothing. Nothing, huh? Nothing. But of course, both sides claim victory. Of course. course. Saddam builds all sorts of statues to himself across Iraq, commemorating his awesome-ass victory in the Iran-Iraq war, uh, where nothing happened and literally a million and a half lives are changed in horrific ways. Wasn't one of those like an arm statue, like holding uh, the two swords? swords. The two yeah, swords. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was Saddam's arm holding yeah, a they sword. They actually and they connected hold- them. Yeah. Who yeah. was the other holding the other sword? Saddam. Yeah. Who was holding the other sword? He was Saddam. Yeah. It, was it was cast really- out of both of his arms. It's just two. <laughs> it's just like two hands holding. You know those uh, like the Middle Eastern sabers. Yeah. Like scepter. Oh, I don't know what yeah. you call this shit. Anyways, they crafted them off of uh, off of his hands. Yeah. Which is fucked up because he had a huge wart, and then they were like, <laughs> "Gross!" <laughs> and then they died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, bypass that. Yeah. Take the wart off. <laughs> Imagine some, Saddam's warty ass hands. Call in Warthog. Yeah. There's like a booger on his finger. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, even though he's claiming victory, 
The reality is that the war has seriously fucked up Saddam's country, finances, and infrastructure. He has taken on a lot of debt from countries like Saudi Arabia to fund what was effectively a botched suicide attempt. He gains nothing, he loses a lot, but it isn't terminal. At least not in the short term. But in the long term, that's a different story. Because another country that had lent Saddam money to fund his loser-ass war with Iran was, dun-dun-dun, Kuwait. His Iraq owed them roughly $30 billion, and he was pushing for them to waive it. And Kuwait's like, Nah, dude, fuck that. Yeah, man. Nah, it's like a bunch of money, huh? Yeah, yeah. And Thirty we billion. That thirty billion doesn't sound like much now, but in eighty-eight, eighty-nine, you know, that was like a trillion dollars. Yeah, it is. Saddam is getting pissed, but he's like, "Look, let me go to everyone in OPEC and get them to agree to some oil cuts, and then I can pump at will and make enough money to pay off this Kuwaiti Express card I fucking maxed out." <laughs> so he does. He goes to OPEC and he asks. The Kuwait steps in and is like. Nah, dude, fuck that. Have him pay me. Yeah. Saddam goes full angry curly from the Three Stooges. (laughs) Wise guy, eh? (laughs) He changes his tone towards Kuwait a bit because, you see, a large number of Iraqi nationalists had been making the claim that Kuwait was really part of Iraq and that the British had fucked all that up with the Sykes-Picot Agreement. There it is. Hmm. And Kuwait, significantly smaller than Iraq, had approximately the same amount of oil reserves. So that would really fucking help right there. Wow. Oh, yeah. We can go ahead and clean out all that debt. And It's true. They were saying that if you're looking at the oil reserves in the Middle East, that uh, Saudi Arabia has like 25% of them, and that Iraq and Kuwait basically split the other 20%. Mm. But Kuwait had a, uh, a population of like 2 million to Iraq's like 27 million at that okay. point. Yeah. And, what is, and think about landmass volume as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Kuwait's tiny. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Saddam thinks... Maybe he'll appease those nationalists and lay claim to Kuwait. Now, Saddam knows that invading another country is a gamble. Not because Kuwait has any ability to defend itself against his much larger, much better equipped, battle-hardened army, but because he isn't sure what the reaction from the rest of the world will be, especially the U.S. But the U.S. has been a pretty reliable ally to Iraq through the 1980s, even if not openly. In fact, during that time, Iraq had been the third largest recipient of U.S. assistance in the entire world. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, we wanted Iran like it was a it was a personal thing with the, I would say that the, the big thing beyond like losing the Shah, you know, who was basically a, a, a puppet, like yeah. American puppet, like yeah. the, well, yeah, they put him just, up there. Not just for American America. funded, though. Yeah, but Western puppet. Yeah, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. But also when you had the hostage crisis, which lasted forever, it was a very much embarrassing for the U.S. Yeah. So but then I, you know, that was the question that I want to ask you. Like, say that Saddam hadn't gained power, like in the late seventies, mm-hmm. and that Iraq had joined with Syria. Would that have, what would that have looked like as opposed to? I don't. I mean, you certainly don't get the Gulf War. You don't get the Iran Iraq War. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get the Kuwait invasion. It changes a lot. I mean, it could. There's uh, there's gonna be other issues there. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, obviously we saw what Bashar al Assad's uh, dad was like. Or um, you know, he was pretty bad. Anyways, he bombed Aleppo back in the 70s and the 80s. And yeah. then, of course, you see like what Assad is willing to do to maintain power over Syria in the past decade. And he's actually part of a smaller subsect of Muslims called the Alawites. So, again, the Middle East is very complicated. Yeah. And basically, in 1918, we were like, well, I like this piece. That's ours. This oil is ours. Yeah. They're like, yeah, but this is like seven different groups together, and they don't like each other. Fuck it. It's not my problem. It will be later on. Yeah. 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 
You know, so I mean, who knows? I, that I, was what they talked about was one of the big, I guess, downsides to taking out Saddam at the time was because he put fear into all the different tribes in that region. And then when he was gone, everybody was like, oh, we're going for it. Yeah, you know? that's true. So he said Saddam knows that there could be a potential backlash globally, but he's really sort of concerned about the, about the U.S. So he's like trying to back channel to see what will happen. But he's also getting like conflicting messages from different parties. So like he's being told sometimes like the U.S. isn't really going to do anything. I don't know. We may not back you, but we're not going to really want to get involved in this. He's hearing different things. Maybe they will get involved. Are these like different people at the seat, like different factions of the That's CIA what it seems almost? Like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Different exactly. groups. It's in not there. just the CIA. It could just be like diplomats or anything yeah. like that. He's just hearing different things and he's going to take a gamble. Right. So ultimately he bets that the even if the U.S. doesn't like continue assistance to Iraq, they won't likely get involved. And that makes sense because Kuwait was, after all, a massive Israel hater and was the Persian Gulf monarchy that had the most friendly relations with the Soviets. Yeah. So it's not a crazy gamble. Yeah. We yeah. don't really want to no. even get down with the fucking Kuwaitis. They were definitely down with the Soviets. Yeah. So Saddam moves troops to the Kuwaiti border. The West howls, right? Israel says it's a major threat to peace in the region. Saddam tells everyone that he'll fucking kill half of Israel with chemical weapons if they blink. <laughs> Red alert, diplomatic negotiations begin. U.S. officials attempted to maintain a conciliatory line with Iraq, indicating that while George H.W. Bush and James Baker did not want force used, they would not take any position on the Iraq-Kuwait border boundary dispute and did not want to become involved. We were like, we don't want to touch this shit. Whatever. One last attempted at diplomacy occurs with a meeting between Iraq and Kuwait. It does not go well. And on August 2nd, 1990, Saddam says, fuck it, and invades Kuwait. And this is the point when every fucking American alive learned who Saddam Hussein was. Yep. I love it because they were at the time they were uh, challenging in what, like NATO and all that, mm-hmm. that uh, Kuwait had, with the help of the USA, had like oil rigs that That's were right. going in at angles yeah. and stealing from Iraq. Right, yeah. And so Iraq wanted that to stop immediately and to get back what they what was owed to them. Yeah, they were drinking their milkshake. Yeah, like and it basically like they would show diagrams and it looked like the Eiffel Tower, mm-hmm. almost like kind of like going off into. I drink your milkshake. <laughs> yeah, I drink it up. But that's like what he does time and time again. Like when he assumed power, he just kind of walked in and was like, "We have uncovered a plot, and I am gonna take power oh, yeah. now." Yeah, so it's called and, a casus belli, and, right? Yeah, it's like reason for war. That's just the name of it. It's not. It's like a concept all this time. You have to have an explanation for why you're going there. It doesn't have to be real. You know, weapons of mass destruction. Cassus Belly was the Gulf of Tonkin. Yes, absolutely. We've done it. Everybody has to have a reason to go to war, whether it's valid or not. Side note, it was revealed during Saddam's 2003-2004 interrogation that in addition to economic disputes, and this is during the last ditch effort to try to save things between Kuwait and Iraq. Sure. In addition to economic disputes, an insulting exchange between Kuwaiti Emir al-Sabah and the Iraqi foreign minister during which Saddam claimed that the emir stated his intention was to turn, quote, every Iraqi woman into a $10 prostitute by ruining Iraq financially. And he said that was a decisive factor in triggering the Iraqi invasion. Oh, wow. Got to talk shit. <laughs> well, I mean, and to be honest, you're looking at Kuwait and you're like, he's like, all right, wave that money. They're like, nah, fuck that shit. Okay, I understand that. Then he's like, all right, well, look, everybody can you guys cut back production a little bit. Let me make my money back and then I'll pay you back. Quaid's like, fuck that shit. Nah, pay We're me. not slowing yeah. anything down. Yeah. And then they're like, all right, last ditch ever. We're going to invade you. He's like, I'm going to turn every fucking one of your people, all the women, into $10 whores. 
because you're going to be so fucked they're going to have to suck my dick for $10. We're basically going to turn this into the red light district. Yeah. That's right. And Kuwait was a tiny dude that was like picking fights at a party. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like... But I he, had his big, yeah. he had his big homie in the corner <laughs> he did, yeah. that didn't like the guy he was picking the fight yeah. with. He's like, I got the fucking Saudis with and me, bro. Guy's sitting over there with an empty bottle just waiting uh-huh. to tee off on him. Yeah, yep. that was the Saudis. Yeah. And then, of course, then we go back to the Osama bin Laden episode where the Saudis were like, hey, we're going to let the U.S. come in and take care of this shit. Uh, Osama bin Laden was like, fuck that. Let me protect the Saudis. Let me protect Kuwait. We don't need Westerners doing yeah. this. And, and that's yeah. It's a tangled web we weave, isn't it? Though it all now comes we've together. got a, a launching point for you know base of operations over in the Middle East. That's exactly right. Either way, Saddam, the Iraqis, they invade. Long story short, Saddam bets wrong and gets absolutely fucking wrecked by the U.S. and a coalition of forty-two other nations. I mean, it's a real ass kicking. Some one hundred and seventy-five thousand Iraqis were taken prisoner, and casualties were estimated to be at over eighty-five thousand, which. In context with like the current Russian-Ukrainian war, whatever else, seems small, but remember this all occurred in a matter of a couple months. Yeah. Yeah, my brother-in-law was uh, 82nd Airborne, was first in, sniper specialist, like in that, and he was like, dude, it was, it wasn't, uh, like it was, like everybody pretty much was throwing down as soon as we showed up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? They didn't want any part of that. That was the highway of death where they were trying to skate back to Baghdad, and we just bombed Everything they li- like an entire tank column that's like the length of I, I mean I don't know just very you know I don't know the Mason Dixon line just getting scorched. Yeah. Uh, that's where we get the awesome movie Three Kings with Mark Wahlberg. Three Kings is great. Uh, yeah, uh, Jarhead. Yeah, Jarhead. Yeah. Which, uh, if he was a if he if your brother in law was with the what was it the was he eighty second airborne. Okay. Yeah, he was a sniper specialist. So he's got to love Jarhead at the end when he's that one sniper is just all he wants to do is I shoot just somebody. Want to see the pink cloud? Yeah. They were the like, "Fuck all that shit. We're calling in an airstrike, man." Oh yeah, yeah, no, he about loses his shit yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. No, it, my brother in law said that movie was very accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was written by a guy that was there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, it's pretty bad <laughs> for Saddam and the Iraqis. Uh, Saddam does also does the ultimate dick move and declares victory. <laughs> for real, I could have swore it lasted what seven days. No, that was the seven day war with the Israelis taking on all of the Middle East. Oh, that was the earlier one. Yeah, was yeah, it, yeah. This thing didn't this last. It was long. a couple months. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it didn't. We kept on. It was one of those things where you know the shock and all, but we had to keep on. Uh, um, Shocking and on. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, we had to keep on advancing, and it wasn't something that happened overnight, but a lot of stuff happened where it should have taken months and months oh. worth of battle. It was... You know, everybody it, was just throwing their weapons It was down. insanely yeah. quick. It was probably the most dominant U.S. victory in U.S. war history, I would say. On CNN Live. Oh, yeah. That was know? I remember oh, watching yeah. it. You know, I was like, whoa, man. Yeah, I said he, but he, he declares victory, uh, which is hilarious. Uh, anyways, well, he would never, he, he would never admit defeat because that makes the Iraqi people look weak or right. his army look weak. Yeah. Anyway, since Saddam's government had fought to a bloody stalemate for a decade and then gotten their shit pushed in in a matter of weeks, well, Saddam is looking really weak for a strongman dictator. And a lot of people are now like to argue that we should have kept going and toppled him ourselves, and it would have saved us a lot of grief. Especially when Saddam kept pointing to the fact that he was still alive and in power as the validation uh, for his victory claims, right? And look, maybe in hindsight that's true, but that's another show for another podcast. Sure. Yeah, and I mean that was all new ground at the time too. Like, well, everything in hindsight, right? Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, the reason they didn't do it is because they were like, we're just basically going to create a power vacuum there. But we did it anyways. But at least at that point, we had a coalition of like forty two other countries. Yeah, helping us out. Not the coalition of the willing, which was like Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
have a coalition of the willing. <laughs> anyway, like I said, Saddam is looking uh, a bit like a trick-ass bitch to the Iraqis, and the U.S. government is all, yeah, Saddam's a straight bitch. Go fuck him up, Iraqi people. We got you. This does not go well, and we did not have them. Saddam has uh, enough military left to crush multiple rebellions, especially the Kurds in the north and the Shiites pretty much everywhere else. Uh, in 1991, in these uprisings, uh, anywhere between 100,000 to 180,000 people are killed. Yeah. Uh, while Saddam retains and consolidates power, most of those casualties were civilians. Yeah. No, that was a big mistake on the American go- or the American army, American government's part. Just we shouldn't like have told them away. we were going to back them up. And we, were like, we're like, we got eh, you. Eh, we'll we got you. you. And they were all like, hell yeah, about time somebody's yeah. got us. Yeah. And we fucking walked out. That I was know. fucked. Yeah, it was Kurdistan. They were just trying to create their own thing. They're like, we're Kurds, dude. We're like different than these people. And uh, yeah, the Kurds are the ones you want. I mean, they honestly, I don't know. It's whatever. The Kurds got fucked by us a couple times. The UN never lifted sanctions on Iraq following the, goal, the first Gulf War. So to put it mildly, unlike the 70s, the 90s are a shitty time to be an Iraqi. A really shitty time. Yeah. Man. Throughout that decade, there would be back and forth with U.N. weapons inspectors and Saddam's government as they tried to verify that stocks of chemical and biological weapons had been destroyed in accordance with the uh, agreement post-Desert Storm. Sometimes they'd comply, sometimes they wouldn't, and then the U.S. and Great Britain would launch airstrikes and continue to work to undermine uh, Saddam's government to the point that it would be overthrown without offering direct open help to the belligerents who would attempt to do so. But it just never happens. They just skirmishes here and there, they get wiped out. He maintains power. And it's also at this point, too, that Saddam takes a very sort of hard Islamist slant because he's like, he's reading the tea leaves. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's like, oh, I'm getting away from the sort of like, you know, secular Baathist movement. He's still maintaining the Baath party, but now he's putting things like, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, Inshallah and stuff like that on the flag and in his name is like God is great, okay. Allahu Akbar and stuff like that. So yeah. he's, he's, he's glomming on to that whole that whole sort like of deity. wave. Yeah. Know, yeah. Just yeah. the wave of what's popular at the time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, that didn't happen. And then 9-11 happens, and America gets horny for war. And that Saddam toppling looks smarter than ever. <laughs> yeah, it does. George W. Bush drops a hint in his uh, January 2002 State of the Union. And all throughout that year, the pressure ramps up. All the way until November when uh, UNSC Resolution 1441 is put in place which demands that Iraq go open kimono with all weapons inspectors. Let them in anytime, anywhere, whatever. We're going to do this. So Saddam actually allows UN weapons inspectors led by Hans Blix to return to Iraq. During the renewed inspections beginning in November 2002, Blix found no stockpiles of WMD and noted the, quote, proactive but not always immediate Iraqi cooperation as called for by Resolution 1441. And that was what was a lot of like the hiccup or like a lot of like the... I think the the talk that the U.S. government would use as like they're trying to hide stuff, they're they're thwarting our investigations, they're not letting everybody go where they need to go. Yeah, you know, and well, it was really they weren't finding anything anywhere that they went at the time. It was a pretty good pitch too, because remember they were like, oh, they have mobile chemical weapons factories. They're like mm-hmm. in the back of eighteen wheelers. They can do this. Huh. They were doing like that's when Colin Powell in front of the UN and it was you know. Doing the anthrax and showing like this is all you know yep, whatever just like about. the little like you know yeah. yeah I mean they saw like I said if we've talked about this on the show before but like when we went into Iraq you had a uh, poll numbers for support of the war were in the seventies percent yeah yeah like everybody was like I remember I was like yeah fuck that but and it sucks I mean honestly because like Saddam was a fucking asshole 
Right? Oh, totally. He's yeah. a fucking he's a horrible yeah. he gassed the shit out of his own people. Yeah. His own people all you know, yeah. There was plenty of opportunity to believe that bullshit. Yeah. Even though unfortunately intelligence had a good idea that it wasn't totally like what they were saying and they really wanted to pitch this war. But I mean, you know, is it literally is like a boy that cried wolf situation with Saddam. Yeah, I mean like as kids like I remember thinking if World War Three was going to kick off, it was going to be because of Saddam, mm-hmm. you know, and here we are in a position where, like, we've known he's attacked his people before, and now it's like, all right, cool, we can go in and yeah. do something about it. Yeah, he gassed the Iranians, he gassed his own folks, the Kurds, yeah. he killed all the, I mean, you're like, I mean, this dude's capable. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Right? No 100%. Doubt. Additionally, when all this is happening, Saddam sits down with Dan Rather. This is true. Really? I, really. I don't remember this. Mm-hmm. He sits down with Dan Rather, and he's like, dude... I've been bullshitting about WMDs. <laughs> I really ain't got that shit, man. I just like keeping my neighbors on their toes, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then he challenges George W. Bush to a televised debate to which Bush is like, you could debate this dick, ho, <laughs> and has the whole U.S. military invade anyway and curb stomp the ever-loving shit out of the Iraqi military and send Saddam scattering into the wilderness to hide. Spoiler alert here, aside from steamrolling the Iraqi military and government, the operation... Well, it doesn't go super great for the U.S. No, not the best. Anyway, for eight months, Saddam manages to avoid capture, even when his asshole evil sons Uday and Kusay are caught and shot like beer cans in the woods behind a trailer park. <laughs> I remember when they put out like George W. coming onto the screen and being like, uh, uh, we're going to invade Iraq. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saddam Hussein, you have 48 hours yep. to turn yourself over or we are going to come in and wreck shit. Yeah. And like we were like, oh my god, oh, it's we were going hyped. Down. That was Iraqi freedom, right? It was Operation Iraqi Freedom. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. first was Desert Storm, and then yeah. Iraqi, Iraqi freedom, freedom. Yeah, I believe. Okay, that is, yeah. don't is quote right. me on that. But. I know for some reason, yeah, I think that's right. The yeah. Operation Iraqi Freedom. Yeah. But we've talked about it on the show before. Me and Randy were on the phone when Shock and All happened. We were like, oh, get that shit, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was wild. I mean, to be honest. Saddam sucked dick too, so it's really tough. You oh, know, yeah. it was like, like it was a war we should have never been involved in, for our sake. But, like, I mean, Saddam was felt justified. It felt justified. Even if, like, you take the weapons of mass destruction off of the table, like, even you're like, he needs to fucking go. You know what I mean? Like, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? The difficulty is, and a lot of people make this argument, which is understandable in context, is you're like, yeah, but there's hella shitty dictators out there that kill their own people. Of course. All the time. Duterte. Well, and there's always the argument, too, like, that, and this is one that is, it's, borderline conspiratorial but actually it makes sense in the grand scheme of things is that Iraq had just recently switched from buying or selling oil in US dollars to the euro mm-hmm. and what happened in the 70s was we set up the petrodollar right That's which is exactly which is right. why it's the global currency yeah so you want to maintain like all trades that should be happening in US dollars people start sort of taking off with like the most important commodity at the time oil and they're pricing it in euros instead well, now, it probably wasn't the primary driving factor, but it didn't hurt. Sure, of course. <laughs> yeah. You know? Of course. Yeah. And we also, yeah, I mean, you know, we set up our stuff there. We got Halliburton and all those guys got those contracts to, to, to build oil rigs. and. Aren't they talking about switching it over to, like, yeah, like India, China? They're, they're, yeah, the BRICS, the BRICS economies have been talking about it for a while, but everybody's still fucking with the dollar. Yeah. You know? Uh, like I said, anyways, for eight months, uh, Saddam manages to avoid capture. Uh, but finally, on December 13th, 2003, Saddam is caught on a farm near Tikrit, hiding in a legitimate dirt hole. This event creates the famous meme line, ladies and gentlemen, we got him. 
which I use constantly. I use that at work <laughs> all the time. Like we find something at work that we've been looking for, and nobody gets it because they're all like twenty we years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is put on trial over the course of the following couple of years, to which the end result is basically a foregone conclusion. On November fifth, two thousand six. He is found guilty of crimes against humanity and is sentenced to death by listening to Lee Greenwood's Proud to be an American (laughs) until he vacates his own bowels and commits suicide with a variety of objects left in front of him. Uh, I'm kidding, obviously. He's hung. He argues with a dude while he's standing on the gallows. Did he argue with somebody? He did. Saddam's last words during the execution, quote, May God's blessings be upon Muhammad and his household, and may God hasten their appearance and curse their enemies. Then one of the crowd repeatedly said the name of the Iraqi Shiite cleric, Muqtada al-Sadr. Saddam laughed and later said, do you consider this manhood? The crowd shouted, go to hell. Saddam replied, (laughs) (laughs) Saddam replied to the hell that is Iraq. And with that final assessment of the land he'd been born in, ruled and ultimately destroyed, Saddam gets his neck thoroughly snapped by a $15 piece of rope. The end. And that is Saddam Hussein. <laughs> Final scores, boys. That was the image that, one of the two images that you remember. That's is right. I remember him in the gallows. They didn't show the arguing or you didn't know it was happening. Yeah. yeah. But I remember him standing there and they put the rope around him. You're like, huh, how is this going to, holy oh, shit. Oh, wow, it and is going down like this. And then they showed it, like no yeah. clipping, and they uh-uh. showed down in the hole. And Like, damn, dude, it looks like was. one of those rubber chicken, those joke chickens you get from the show <laughs> <Yeah>. shop. <laughs> Yeah, oh, man, it was uh, yeah, it was wild. All right, like well, I, said, I don't like watching death, but no, like no it was, fan. it was. Wild. I mean, I understand why you would. That's like, like I said, Saddam Hussein was like Hulk Hogan, but the bad Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Like for us, it was such a like a dominant figure, like cultural figure for for Americans. That I understand the need. I just don't like watching people die that much. That I, even that. There's very yeah. few people that I want to watch die. Those are just the people that have speakers on their backpacks when they snowboard. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't kill himself at the end when they when yeah. he knew he, they were coming. Yeah, like he didn't. Yeah, I don't think pull the eight off. Yeah, he didn't do it. No, yeah. I don't know. Surprised. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyways, that was a, a fairly deep dive, pretty in depth. Yeah, uh, yeah, because there's a lot there. Of course. Uh, so with that in mind, let's go ahead and get final scores for Saddam Insane. Randy, what you got? All right, man. So I knew the numbers on this guy were pretty, pretty high, and I knew a lot of this was inflicted on his own people. I did forget about uh, some of the details surrounding it. I forgot about the gas. Yeah. Yeah. I knew he had killed his own people, but I kind of forgot how he did it. Well, that's uh, one really fucked up way to do it. Do we have a total number? I don't not handy from the quick number. Like I think a, it was rough, r- roughly half a million. Yeah, no, I think it even pushed up into like eight hundred k. Okay, it's a lot of people. So think about that: eight hundred thousand people is like the population or of the state capital of like a not very populated state. Or honestly, if you, because Atlanta itself is is sort of zoned strangely, it's about two Atlantas. Yeah, yeah. Not Atlanta metro area, but Atlanta proper. Yeah, yeah. Which is a small landmass, but they, we, I think we have about four hundred fifty thousand people that live in Atlanta. Yeah, like yeah. Atlanta, Atlanta. So. Fucking six million in the suburbs. Yeah, this, God, yeah, exactly. The suburbs Jesus. are much larger. Anyway, so yeah, it, the number of people he killed just on at his own hand, right? Just yeah. kind of, it was again. He kind of, I knew it was the Kurds that he was going after, yeah. and I knew it was the he was one of the Sunnis or the Shiites, and he, he didn't Sunni, like them yeah. either. Yeah. Um, so just a lot of divisiveness, you know, you kind of go back to that pact that they, that we kind of set up a lot of this shit for, and that's, I didn't know about that, so I learned something today. Yeah, that was interesting, but, you know. Reverberates throughout history. Yeah, it didn't turn out well at all, and now that you kind of talk about it, you can sit there and, Mm -hmm. they probably knew what we knew now, 
mm-hmm. in terms of how this all kind of plays out, you know. Oh, and every Arab you know uh, knows Sykes Pico. Interesting. Yeah. There you go. So, honestly, taking into account his total body count, his lack of giving a fuck, just kind of turning on his own people, really, in general, and never really... I mean, you know, we've talked about a lot of the leaders. They never show any kind of remorse or humble mm-hmm. um, kind of strain in their vein. And uh, this guy had zero. Oh, yeah, absolutely zero. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm pinning it up against Bin Laden Hussein, right? Yep. I'm going to put Saddam Hussein's final asshole score... At a 10.49. 10.49. 49. I have him slightly below Osama bin Laden. Uh, and I, I guess I'll give my reasoning because I'm still talking. I know why. Uh, the reason why is bin Laden killed, killed Americans. Bingo. Yeah. Yep. That, was, that was understood. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so I guess on a global asshole <laughs> scale, they're yeah. probably equivalent. But it's not. We're in America. That's so true. It's how we're rolling right That's now. true. And nothing that there's anything wrong with any other countries, but... That's how I feel. And this yeah. is my show. With so all due respect, your lives are worth less than ours. <laughs> <laughs> that's at Randy. Yeah. 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 No, that line was at Mikey. At <laughs> awesome. So yeah, 10.49 final score, slightly below Osama. Buddy, what's your final take? All right. So, uh, man, that's a lot to unpack for him. It doesn't surprise me, but I didn't realize that he like basically had his first murder on the books at 10 years old. 10. 10. And, you know, like, he could have gone a different way. Like, I mean, like, I understand you're basically with, uh, you know, like, your gang leader at the time, your uncle that's a, you know, crazy guy. Mm-hmm. He could have gone a different way afterwards. But, man, he doubled down. I mean, this guy was killing people. He he did a six-month bid for murder at, like, 20. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just kept on down that same path. He didn't trust anybody. If he had an, even an inkling of a thought that you were going to, you know, turn on him, rebel against him, or even just maybe be more popular down the road, he would kill you. Or he would, like, if you were family, he would move you to another country. He'd be like, get the fuck out of Iraq, or I'm going to kill you. Then you got lucky. You were lucky. In fact, yeah. remember that doctor, uh, Dr. Riyadh Ibrahim? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, told him he should resign. Well, yeah. And it was and delivered to he his actually, wife before he died, before he got chopped up or whatever it was, he had gotten kicked off the council or whatever, and he had said that he was like, wow, I just feel lucky to be alive. And then he wasn't. And then he wasn't. You know, there's uh, stories of like, um, just before he came into power, his first daughter was set to marry one of his like really loyal friends, and it was to like con- keep the families connected. But uh, of course, Saddam thought that he was a threat, and at like the very last second, after this had been planned That's for like right. years and years, he was like, no, fuck you. I'm going to go somewhere else, somewhere where, like, he, he knew that it was going to be on his father's side. Yeah. He wanted to try and empower his father's side of the family and somebody that he could control completely. And uh, He machine it, gunned that dude up in his car, right? Dude, uh, he, it might have happened later, but I do know that, like, this dude was his head of security, and he was like, you're no longer my head of security, your son's no longer marrying my daughter, and get the fuck out of Iraq. Oh, you man. have, like, 48 hours. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, he was medieval, bro. Like, legitimately. Like, like even the sort of, like... Uh, he he was a warlord writ large, you yeah, know. And yeah. Just, I mean, in that environment, if you're gonna live by violence, man, you have to be ready to take on violence. Is gonna like dethrone you too. It's a different uh, different skill set. You yeah, have to be yeah. a real fucked up individual. Live man. by the sword, die, die by, by the, the sword. sword. It's the name of my third album. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, this motherfucker killed his best friend to send a message to mm. everybody out there yeah. in the world. Like that's uh, that's insane. That's absolutely insane to me. Uh, he gasses Iran. He gasses the Kurds. Um, supposedly, there's somewhere in the ballpark of three to three hundred to five hundred thousand people that die in the Iran Iraq war. 
There's somewhere in between 100 to 180,000 Kurds dead by the uprising Mm -hmm. with the USA. I mean, like, these are insane numbers for anybody. The way that he takes power, he literally takes it by force because he knows that his people have got his back. And he fabricates stories, gets people, you know, under duress through torture, gets them to Mm -hmm. confess to him, and then kills all the opposition. Well, and you can watch that whole thing on YouTube. That's insane. That is wild. You can watch him sit back and just chill and smoke that cigar, and he's just like, I'm watching my fucking plan play out right now. It is Bond villain-esque. It's wild. It really is. Like, I mean, this is one of the just uh, uh, sickest dudes we've ever dealt with. So, while we do have the... um, Top off at 10.6 with Osama bin Laden. I've got to go just a hair above it for my final score. And I've got Saddam finishing up at a 10.7. All right, 10.7 for Buddy. Yeah. Mikey, take us home. We're reaching for the stars. That's right. With our (laughs) score today. Um, Yeah, I mean, you guys have already said it all. I read a lot of it. The guy sucked dick. It sucks. I mean, like I said... A lot of the context or reference point for people in the U.S. and probably the rest of the world, honestly, is just the 2003 Iraq War, which was a boondoggle for us and ultimately a political and, um, I don't know, strategic mistake. But Saddam Hussein was a fucking horrible person. I mean, it's not a bad thing for that guy to be dead. I think, I think, I don't know, it's tough for me to say. It's really, it is tough. It is tough, right? Like, Bin Laden, uh, I think he had grander designs. Like, I think... He doesn't have the the amount of bodies on him. It's true, but I'm saying yeah. it is tough. This this is the line. And right? I think one of the another thing I was thinking about too is Hussein's bodies and a lot of his like dictatorship was very like military based, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like yeah, invasions yeah. and like strategic there was some thought a little bit behind it. But yeah, from the second he took power, it's like war. Yeah. Like, exactly. And when and bin Laden to me was definitely more like he didn't have the the platform or the base no. that he did, but it was more just like if you don't believe what I believe, yeah. you should die. Well, Bin Laden was was, his... was an ideologue, yeah, right. And you're looking at Hussein; he really was like evilly pragmatic. Like even the Iran Iraq War, I don't think he'd worry so much as just that he was like, I can't let the Shiite population overthrow me. This is a real risk to me. Yeah, yes. So and well, also was Ayatollah try to do well, yeah, some exactly. assassinations and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Ayatollah had talked about I mean like I said the Sunni and Shiite divide is very, very hard mm-hmm. in the Middle East. And so even in that sense, I don't think it, I think it was a pragmatic choice for him. I don't know who's worse. They're both horrific for horrible ideas. I think like on a grander scale, like if Bin Laden had gotten everything that he wanted. It would be much more global. I think Saddam was okay, just sort of being like a you know a dick swinger in the Middle East, a regional dictator. But so in that sense, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tie him. I'm gonna tie him. I'm gonna put him at ten point six each because, like I said, I think they're both bad. It's the scale of what they would potentially want versus you know what they actually accomplished. Yeah. All right, with a ten point four nine from Randy, a ten point seven from Buddy. And a 10.6 from Mikey. Saddam Hussein's final asshole score is a 10.59. 10.59. As close as it gets to being the highest score that we've ever given on the asshole court. Again, Osama bin Laden, 10.6. Saddam Hussein, 10.59. Next closest is Christopher Columbus at 9.67. Almost a full point below. So Yeah. Yeah. Saddam is much was closer little- to Hitler and bin Laden than he is to Christopher Colombo. Maybe Colombo should have been just a couple of 
Nah, he was bad, man. Couple of points. He was real bad. Yeah, I know. That's why he should have been a little bit higher. I, right? I, I thought he was in the tens, but we got him worse than Putin. I feel yeah. like he should be more like ten point two five. His shit lasted. I don't know. I mean, he basically started the transatlantic slave trade. You know, I don't know, dude. He was cutting off all the people's hands if they weren't bringing gold. Oh, that's right. I forgot there. about that. Yeah. Like they were like sharpening, like testing swords on kids' legs. Yeah, pretty yeah. gnarly. Raping chicks. Yeah. Bad news. Uh, awesome. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. As always, we want to thank everybody for all your support. We got a lot of shout-outs and words of encouragement on our trip out to Denver last month. That was a lot of fun. We met a lot of great people, learned a lot of really good shit out there. And for all of our Patreon members, uh, we got, again, a new episode coming for you guys uh, very soon. A little behind-the-scenes action uh, to find out how the sausage is made here at Asshole Court. So, again, until next time, be kind to one another, and we will see you next time on Asshole Court.